the prophet encounters opposition as he boldly proclaims God's truth. His vindication is found through remaining steadfast in his calling. The first lesson this morning comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to stain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he awakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not put to shame. But he who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let, let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me, who will declare my, my guilty. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. This reading contains an early Christian hymn of praise that Jesus was willing to be utterly emptied of his power, even though he was God's son. Now Jesus is highly exalted, and his name is to be honored above all names. The second reading this morning comes from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking in the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus is every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Christ Jesus is Lord and glory and to the glory of God the Father. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You may be seated. As a kid growing up in the Church of the Nazarene, we only heard the Passion narrative on Good Friday. Not everyone came to church that day, so a lot of people missed it. My family always went to church on Good Friday, and so I heard a lot of sermons on the Passion. I remember, or at least I think I remember, a particular sermon in which the preacher asked us to imagine Jesus on the cross looking out over all of the centuries between him and us and seeing us and seeing all of the sins that we would commit. And then the preacher exhorted us to consider Jesus' pains and sufferings and to be that sorry for our sins. It left an indelible impression on me. I remember thinking, I caused that? But reading it now as an adult, I'm surprised I don't find any of that kind of piety in the Passion narrative. Paul says that Jesus died on account of our sins, 
But none of the Gospel writers have that in mind when they write their story. There is no sense of Jesus suffering in place of sinful humanity or in place of me in particular. In fact, the whole thing seems surprisingly political. Jesus rides into Jerusalem with a throng of people in front and behind, hailing him as the Davidic king, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of God. The kingdom is about to be restored. And he comes in riding on a donkey, which Zechariah tells us was the way the victorious king came back from battle and into Jerusalem. To ride in on a war horse would be to be an act of aggression. And so coming in on a donkey signaled peace. This is Jerusalem's king coming to her, not as some aggressive foreign power trying to take over, but coming home victorious. Even the charges against Jesus have political overtones. When the high priest asks him if he is the Christ, he replies, The words are yours, but from now on you will see the human being sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's making reference to that passage in the book of Daniel where Daniel sees the Son of Man crowned by God and taking over the kingdom. When Pilate questions him, are you the king of the Jews? He uses the official title for Herod. All of this is political. And then the soldiers take him into the barracks and dress him in a crimson robe, just what a general would have worn on his war horse. And when he dies on the cross, the centurion and those who were with him say, Truly, this man was Son of God, which is a Greek translation of the Latin Divi Fili, Son of the Divine, the official title of Caesar. When Caesar returned triumphant from war, he would stop at the Rubicon, wait for the Senate to vote a triumph, because if he came across the river without um, the Senate's permission, that was seen as aggression. And once the Senate had voted a triumph, Caesar would come in in an ox cart, like a prisoner of war. His soldiers would be throwing dirt in the air, spitting at him, teasing him, giving him vinegar to drink, saying, this is what we drank out on campaign while you were in your luxurious tent drinking fine wine. And his chaplain would stand over his left shoulder, whispering to him, Memento Mori, Memento Mori, remember that you're mortal, you're not a god yet. And then when they got to the Senate, he would be cleaned up, dressed in purple, and enthroned in the Senate. The Christian passion narrative recognizes that and stands the whole thing on its head. It's giving us an option. It gives us, it points out two ways of looking at reality, the way of empire and the way of God. Everyone would have recognized the political elements of the story and seen the political parallels being drawn. Rome built its empire on brutality. Strength, even violence, in restraint of strength, was a Roman value. Cicero and Brutus, who cooperated in the murder of Julius Caesar, were seen by everyone except Augustus as heroes. The Republic was founded when the nobility drove the Tarkin kings out of the city and killed them. Violence was a value. 
And the passion narrative holds up this Roman brutality on the one hand, displaying it in the brutality against Jesus. And on the other hand, the power of God, which Jesus displays from the cross, and most people in the narrative misunderstand. We read it out loud so that we can feel good and guilty. Let God rescue him if he loves him. A quotation from Psalm 22. Only the centurion gets it. Truly, this man was son of God. Our sin is to mistake power over for real power. The same mistake that Rome made. We think that we have to have control to get our way in order to be complete and free. When we feel impotent, something is really, really wrong. Our society doesn't know what to do with weaklings. When people are out of work, they feel terrible, out of control, worthless. When people are homeless or have to use a food pantry, we feel sorry for them, but we don't know what to do with them. When we see the people standing at the exit ramps with the cardboard signs, homeless, please help, we turn away. I no longer keep a discretionary account at church because I could never sort out over the phone who was worthy of my help and who wasn't because I don't know what to do about people who are powerless. We want them all somehow to disappear so that we can go back to our feeling of being powerful. We don't know what to do with people who suffer silently behind the doors here in suburbia, the elders who can't afford their medicines, the single moms who can't keep up with their bills. If they would all just go away, life would be simpler. But the passion narrative holds up two options for us, power or God. If Jesus suffers for our sin, he suffers for our misuse of power, for trying to get power for feeling absolutely helpless when we don't know what to do, for wanting to ignore the reality. So Matthew points to it and says, this is where we find God, in the helpless, in Christ on the cross. Facing those situations is what will bring about our transformation. When we learn to see God in the least likely places, we will begin to work to change the system that gives us power. We're entering into Holy Week as a way of focusing our attention on that life of service. Maundy Thursday, we will reenact Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Good Friday, we will again hear the Passion. And then finally, at Easter, we will see God's vindication of the powerless. We're given two options, empire or God. Which is it to be? Only the centurion got it. Surely, this man was son of God. Amen.